and everything in between. Call us now at 515-605-9738. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Dirty Nation. And now, let's push up for some highlights. Uh, we've uh, done a workaround, and now we're on the show here. 
How's it yeah. going so far, Mac? Uh, I think I got you finally now. We did fight a little bit of some technical gremlins, but I got you now. And I'm definitely, I was kind of just recapping what we saw over the weekend as far as the events that happened at the power, the power ice season opener at, at uh, I-44 Riverside Speedway and kind of brought up that you didn't make the trip out there. And Seabell got to come home and perform in front of the hometown fans and really got to, you know, embrace where his roots were. And then brought up the fact that Justin Grant looks like he's maybe going to be the man to beat when it comes to how we go this weekend at Terre Haute. Oh yeah, we're gonna the uh, the racing out of Port City from the video that you've shot that I've watched was spectacular. So uh, it's uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that a little bit more with Christopher here in a little while when he comes on. But let's uh, I, I really want to talk about the Silver Crown Show because this past Thursday on our uh, on our show, Reinventing the Tradition here on the Dirt Team Radio Network with Greg and Jared, um, we, we all decided that Justin Grant is going to win that race on Sunday. You, you think that's a safe bet? Well, if he does, he'd be the first driver in USAC history to pick up the win in the opening sprint race, the opening midget race, and the first Silver Crown feat. But with the year that he's already had, he kind of hits the odds-on favorite, which is really bad if you're Chris Wyndham because he's kind of looking in the rearview mirror at everybody going, you know, I was the champ last year. How about some love here? Oh, yeah. I think – I mean, all three of us said that we think he's going to win it. Um, I think Chris I think Chris Wyndham could, could also be up there. But, I mean, you got to look at all the guys in the Silverfront Series that this year are starting are, – are back in the series. Jerry Jerry Coons Jr., uh, the big – the one that – the dark horse I think is going to be – I think potentially could win pop off, a, pop off a few wins this year is Damian Gardner. You like the West Coast flavor with Gardner, huh? I, I do. I mean, and he, he's got the coolest nickname in racing, the Demon Damian Gardner. I mean, put it – I mean, I think put him in a – put him in a big car on a mile track. I think I, watching it watching it dance on dirt on a mile down to coin, I think, I think watching him is going to be spectacular. Well, also if you're going back to the thing, as far as Justin Grant knows, he's been the early season favorite, but he's been so humble for the fact of how good he's been to start the year. And he, I saw him a little bit this weekend before they had to leave to go to Brownstown where they got rained out the following day with the sprint car. I talked to him a little bit at the first day of the power eye opener. And he brought up the fact of, you know, they were just out there having fun. And I kind of joked with him before Mother Nature intervened. I said, wouldn't it be really cool if you picked up all three USAC wins and a power ride win to start the year? And he kind of just smiled and looked at me, and he goes, well, that's kind of the goal, but we're not, you know, too, too hopeful. Because he's already had a magical way to start the year to begin with. Yeah, picking up picking up that win out, out there at the Chili Bowl. And we also talked Justin Grant. I mean, he, he's got that – he's got baby luck going on. I mean, he just had those two twins. I mean, you, I mean, you can't – you can't bet against baby luck. As somebody who became a father within the last calendar year, I've completely got to agree with that. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's kind of where we're coming from on on our on the show reinventing the tradition. You guys can listen to that on the Dirt Team Radio Network. On usually we put, get it posted on Friday. Sometimes it's a little later. We just got on iTunes yesterday, so search for that. Go subscribe on iTunes. Also subscribe to this show on iTunes. Hot Laps with Jimmy and Mac. That way you never miss an episode. We are definitely looking forward to the fact that you can listen to these shows not only live here on the Dirt Scene Radio Network, but also you can listen to them on demand the following day, which we were happy with what you guys were uh, listening to as far as on demand the following day. So we're going to be keeping that up here in the future, even when we fight technical gremlins like we did here this evening. So a busy show coming up here on hand, but let's go ahead and kick things off now with our Word of Outlaws recap from this past weekend, which don't forget you can listen to Open Red with Ross Weiss and Justin Fielder over through the World of Outlaws. That's a great podcast that recaps all the action of the World of Outlaws Craftsman Sprint Car Series. This past weekend, they were in action Saturday, March the 25th. They got rained out the first night at the Stockton Dirt Track out in California, where Brad Sweet was victorious in what was a great final lap showdown with Donnie Schatz. Schatz and Sweet trading the lead back and forth several times within the final 10 laps until a caution flag came out for the stock car of Jason Sides. Sweet holds on to win in his home state over Schatz. Shane Stewart, Brian Brown, and David Gravel rounded out the top five. So Brad Sweet kind of uh, making it strong for the Casey Kane team here to start the year and knocking shots one one notch down, but still looking like shots at the man to beat as he's continuing to knock out top fives and top threes here to start the year for the Outlaws. Yeah, I don't uh, – I have to agree with you there. I don't uh, – you can't count shots out anywhere ever. But uh, I did see the other day uh, 
Brad Sweet picking up the win on it. Uh, I can't think. Is, is that what we're talking about? Uh, yeah, we're talking about technical difficulties here, Mac. Yeah, we're talking about the Stockton Dirt Track race here this past Saturday. Yeah, uh, Brad Sweet picking up the win out there, and probably one of the most beautiful cars on the outlaw circuit. What do you think? I definitely have to agree. The Napa Auto Parts colors flying for Brad Sweet here on the number 49 car this year for the Casey Kane Racing Team is one of the best-looking cars that's out on the tour right now. Yeah, I'd I'd probably have to agree with that. Well, not only is it one of the best cars out on the tour right now, but it kind of just brings up the fact that just how good all of the outlaw teams look this year as far as how everybody's paint job looks. I mean, Ross Weiss brought up the photo with it not that long ago. There's some great-looking sprint cars this year as far as in the outlaw camp. Oh, yeah, there, def- there definitely is. But I think that blue on uh, that blue on Brad Sweet's Napa car, I mean, you just it's it's beautiful. The first time I seen it practice down at Volusia on the video here, and I think I believe DB3 Imaging was down there videoing that. I mean, to see that blue that blue streak down the straightaway there at Volusia, it was it was just beautiful. And then and then it's and then another thing talking about colors and changes with the World of Outlaws. Donnie Schatz running a Ford, seeing a seeing a gigantic Ford symbol on the side of that. I know you're. I think you're kind of a GM guy, Chevy guy, maybe. I'm just a little bit of a Chevrolet guy, but it's not the first time that Ford has been deep into sprint car racing, Jimmy. Really? Yeah, I'm not sure if you might remember this or not. If you go back about 10, 15 years ago, the Casey Luna team that ran around Ohio, Ohio in this area for the years was very famous for two of its drivers that it drove while having Ford power plants. Let's see how good you are. Can you name both of them? No. Uh, I, I thought for sure you were gonna, you might get one of them. One of which was Dave Blaney, and he, I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back and check on this. Dave took that car to a World of Outlaws championship, and one of the other more famous ones, because I joked with him last year at the Silver Crown race at Decoin about it, is the likes of Jeff Swindell. Jeff Swindell was when he was driving for the two winners of team in the 7TW then became sponsored by 104 plus octane boost. And they drove the 104 the following year. And they had some wins with that as well. And he kind of laughed when I joked, I said, the last time I saw you race, you were in a car number 104. And he's like, wow, that was a while ago. So it's not Ford's yeah. first foray going into, into a wing sprint car racing. They've had success in silver crown, but they're coming back strong in sprint car racing as they're hoping here in the future. Yeah, definitely. Let's, uh, Let's go ahead and take a break here real quick and see if we can't get our guest tonight, Christopher Bell, winner of the two Power Eye shows down at uh, Riverside I-44 Speedway down in uh, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. You're listening to Hot Laughs with Jimmy and Matt here on the Dirt Scene Radio Network. We asked a DIYer to tell the difference between a beaker of new Valvoline motor oil and one with Valvoline Next Gen with recycled oil. They look the same. Both exceed industry specs. Still can't tell. Okay, one's better for the environment. Not helpful. Next Gen oil is better than new oil. Used oil actually starts off better than crude and goes through the same refining process. Then it's improved with our special additives for the same Valvoline protection. And because it uses less resources, it's better than new oil. Valvoline Next Gen. With 50% recycled oil, it's better than new oil. From its humble beginnings in Lakeville, Indiana in 1957, Hoosier Racing Tires have become the premier race tire used by champions all over the United States and in 86 different countries. The different types of racing tires they have include tires for dragsters, road racing, oval track dirt, oval track asphalt, carts, quarter midgets, ATVs, pro street, and much more. So if you promote a racetrack, own a racing series, or just want the best tire made for your style of racing, Hoosier is the only race tire manufacturer you'll ever need. Go check them out at HoosierTire.com. Tires designed for champions. From its humble beginnings in Lakeville, Indiana in 1957, Hoosier Racing Tires have become the premier race tire used by champions all over the United States and in 86 different countries. The different types of racing tires they have include tires for dragsters, road racing, oval track dirt, oval track asphalt, carts, quarter midgets, ATVs, pro street, and much more. So if you promote a racetrack, own a racing series, or just want the best tire made for your style of racing, Hoosier is the only race tire manufacturer you'll ever need. Go check them out at HoosierTire.com. Tires designed for champions. Welcome back to the Dirt Scene Radio Network and Hot Laps with Jimmy and Mac. 
Michael McIntyre, Jimmy Miller, glad to be with you here once again for a fresh episode this week as we get set to talk to Christopher Bell, who had basically racing's version of the homecoming dance this weekend as he was victorious in both nights slash two shows in one day at the Turnpike Challenge at I-44 Riverside Speedway in Oklahoma City in the Keith Coons Motorsports car number 21, taking a little bit of a break as the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series season kind of hits the spring wall, so to sort before they get set to go back to action this weekend at Martinsville Speedway for the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. And on the Dirt Scene Radio Network phone line right now is the victor of this weekend's event at I-44 Riverside Speedway. Christopher Bell, glad you're joining with us. You're on Hot Last with Jimmy Mack. Good to talk to you. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Hello. Go ahead and uh, bring up the fact of it was got to, it had to be good this weekend coming home to race in front of the hometown fans, especially because it, based on where the racetrack was, you grew up not too far from there. Yeah, it was awesome to be able to race with the Power Eye National Midget Series at I-44 because, like you said, that was my home track. My house was uh, my house that I grew up in was 10 minutes away from there, so. Growing up as a kid, going to I-44, it, it was cool to be able to get to race a, a more nationally event, I guess, at I-44 would be a good way to put it. And to be able to run for Keith at my home track with my uh, number that I grew up racing was really special as well. You brought up the, I brought up the fact that you're kind of in that lull that is the spring, kind of the long stretch where you guys are off during the NASCAR scene. And I talked with you at the track a little bit about this. It's got to feel good not only coming home to race in front of the hometown fans, but getting back in a midget as well. That's got to feel real good. Yeah, it's it works out really well, especially this, this time of year to have that event where I can get to go race back in Oklahoma at some of my home tracks because the truck series, like you mentioned, is on a little bit of a break. So uh, it works out for me to get to go do some midget racing. So we get to go to Martinsville this weekend, and then I got another – another long break coming up for the truck so i'll get to go do some sprint car racing in there and uh get to have a little bit of fun and uh stay in the seat and stay sharp we got uh christopher bell thanks for uh, showing up here on the sh- on the show for us sorry we're having a couple technical difficulties right now but uh i kind of want to take a step back here real quick and let's go back to january when you when you finally got the chili bowl win one of the, I believe, the second Oklahoman to do it, followed by Darren Pittman from Oklahoma. How, what was that? Mo- what was that like for you? What was that moment like? Finally, finally knocking that giant off the mountain. Well, it was a really special win, and the Chili Bowl has been the race that I grew up kind of wanting to win or, or dreaming of winning. So, uh, to be able to win it and be the first Oklahoma guy since Andy Hillenberg was was really special because. It was a long time coming for an Oki to get it done, and I'm really thankful that uh, I was able to be the guy to get it done. And, and then it was awesome, like you mentioned, to be able to have Pittman run second to me was, was really cool and shows that uh, you know Oklahoma can produce really good race car drivers. So that was, that was really special. I'd come close a couple times before and uh, never got the job done, but it finally clicked this year. T- talking about you drive you drive for uh, Keith Coons and the midgets when you when you're able to tell me what that's like being in that in that in that arena with that much talent that much that much good equipment coming out of one trailer you have I mean you have you Rico Abreu Tanner Thorson Kyle Larson all three of you all three of you USAC champions Tell me what that's what that's like working working with that, and kind of kind of run through me how you how you got started with Keith. Well, it, it's tough because you got all of the it seems like the best drivers or some of the best drivers anyway in the best cars, and they're your teammates. So uh, as it kind of takes the advantage out of the equation because uh, you know as good of drivers or better drivers than yourself are in the same cars as what you got. So. It makes it really tough, but I feel like it makes for exciting races, and uh, everyone's got to kind of, you know, wonder, you know, are the Keith Coons cars going to wreck each other because we always race each other hard, and, uh, you know, which one's going to be the one up front. But it's been obviously a dream come true to be able to run for Keith and Pete because they're amazing people. They've kind of – they've become the dominant midget team here over the last several years. So uh, I learned a long time ago that you're only as good as the race cars you sit in. So I'm really thankful that – 
Toyota has given me the opportunity to, to be with teams like Keith Coons Motorsports and Kyle Busch Motorsports on the stock car side of things. And uh, it's just nice to be able to be in really good equipment. You talk about being in the good equipment that is with Keith Coons Motorsports and with how many cars he usually does field at the track. You've kind of been the next one in the Toyota pipeline to go up the rank. Now you're in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, and there's still the flow of talent that's behind you still kind of coming up the ranks in the midgets. Is there anything you can really do to help the process of them coming along as well? Do they come to you for advice at all, or is it still kind of every man for himself on the weekend? I know you guys still mainly work as a cohesive unit. Yeah, well, I guess the biggest thing for for moving up the ladder is I've got to perform because there's not there's not a lot of holes in the uh, in the stock car world right now. So, in order for guys like Tanner or Spencer or uh, Ryan Robinson or anybody in the in the Toyota deal, there has to be holes for them. So the more I perform and the more I got moved up the ladder, uh, that creates a hole for another guy to fill that hole, and, and everyone moves up the line. So. The biggest thing is is just, you know, finding the holes and opportunities for, for seats to open up for guys to get into. So uh, it's a, you know, there's, there's only 40 cups on Sundays in the Cup Series, 40 cups or 40 seats in Xfinity Series and, what, 38 or 36 truck seats. So uh, it's pretty cool that I've got one of the premier rides in the Truck Series, and I, I'm really thankful that uh, the opportunities that have allowed me to, to be in where I'm at. Yeah, I can uh, I can remember whenever you were whenever you were still running micros and you picked up the win down at uh, the Southern Illinois Raceway at the it was a day in July at the I cannot the 66 race that Brad McDaniel puts on and I believe that was pretty much the first time any from from my standpoint anybody had ever heard of you Chris but um, you gotta you gotta pinch yourself sometimes coming from that in such a short amount of time. Yeah, it's been a dream come true. Like you mentioned, that race that Brad McDaniel promoted really kind of put my name on the map nationally because it it was a micro race still, but yet it paid $10,000. $10,000 is a lot of money. So uh, you got guys like Spridge from USAC and, and Hunter Schoenberg, which, was a, it's, which is a USAC racer. So uh, guys in the sprint car world paid attention to that race just because of how much money it paid. So uh, like you said, that was kind of the – the race that put my name on the map and then uh, being able to get opportunities and sprint cars and, and midgets and perform well there it is uh, you know what what took me to the next level and uh, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and continue on this micro strip path because that's kind of where that's where I came from that's where I remember seeing you whenever you got started T- tell me about how much how what you've learned running at the now now the now not running port city of Port City Raceway down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Kind of tell me what, what what was it like running there every week? Well, I feel like Port City really groomed me to be a groomed me to be the race car driver that I am today. Just because uh, it, it's a small track for the micros and um, the micros they don't have a lot of horsepower. So I feel like them for them to be valuable, you need to run at shorter racetracks. And Port City was a place where the dirt was except exceptionally well and uh they did a great job with the banking and the surface of getting it to uh learn how to race and learn what dirt racing is all about as, as far as finding the grooves learning the dirt reading the dirt knowing where the grip is where the moisture is how uh how cushions form and, and stuff, stuff like that so uh port city was was a great place for me to grow up and uh it's proved to create a lot of great sprint car racers you kind of did grow up in the hotbed of micro racing in that area, and I kind of want to transition that into, you know, what I brought up, you know, working up the ranks. You have so many now different types of micro sprints. You have your A-class, you have your stock, you have your box stock, your, non, your non-wing, your outlaw wing. I know it takes so many different driving disciplines to master each one. But is there anything that's universal in those that you can then apply to a midget, or is it, you know, different disciplines completely across the board and everything? Well, the the biggest thing is growing up at a place that runs all the different classes of micros, I feel like that teaches you to be a versatile driver. And and I can remember whenever I grew up at Port City or or just in the Oklahoma scene in general, if there was a big a-class race well you went and ran it if there was a big non-wing race you went and ran that if there was a big outlaw race that's what you went and ran and 
you kind of you didn't even think twice about it. It's like, oh, it's non-wing tonight, okay, or oh, it's wing tonight, okay. And if it was just a local show, then you ran wing and non-wing. That's just what you did. So I feel like that's what kind of uh, groomed me to be the the versatile driver that I am, where uh, I, I've been able to be successful with wing sprint cars, non-wing sprint cars, midgets, and uh, like Brady Break. Brady Bacon is another good example of that. He grew up at Fort City doing the same thing where uh, we learned to race with wings and without wings. So, um, you know, I feel like that's kind of uh, what creates the ultimate race car driver is being able to be successful at uh, all different styles of race cars. And and I feel like that was a big asset that running at all those different classes and the micros had, had provided we brought up the fact that there is a long gap in the schedule in the truck series and you brought up, you know, it's always good to come back to the midgets and you're going to come back and do some sprint car stuff as well. What all is on your uh, plate this year, as far as midgets and sprints goes, I mean, I know you're at Martinsville this coming weekend in the truck, but what's the plan from there? So after Martinsville, I'm going to get to go to Texas motor speedway and run the uh, ASCS sprint car race that they've got there. And from there, I'm going to go to, uh, run a trio of World of Outlaw races down in Texas at Willis and then Devil's Bowl. So that's, as of right now, that's all I've got. But uh, I've got a lot of holes throughout later on in the year that I just got to see uh, what car owners are available and uh, what rides I can pick up. Hey, I'll be at, I'll be at that one down there at Devil's Bowl. We're going to be shooting, running a camera down there for uh, Dirt Vision. Russ Russ Weiss got hooked me up with that, so I'll be down there at Devil's at Devil's Bowl as well. Uh, we'll see you there. What kind of kind of switching kind of switching it up here? Out of out of all the cars you you've driven, whether it be so, have, have you ever had a ride in a Silver Crown car, Chris? Uh, yeah, I've, I've won a USAC race and, and ran probably 15 shows. Okay. I think, I think I knew that you wanted Eldora, I believe in the, in the, in the Silver Crown. I believe I was there that night, but kind of taking it through all the different race cars you've driven from the, from the micro to the, to the cup car. What is the hardest discipline wise to learn or to, or to drive? Well, the hardest thing in the world to drive or at least that I've driven are 410 wing cars just because they're they're so fast they have so much horsepower uh they're just extremely hard to race they're so aero dependent it seems like every corner that you run you get a different handle on it because uh it just depends on who's in front of you who's around you and how the air hits your wing so that's definitely the hardest style of cars I've ever had to race and I'm there's only one guy out there that can that can be in total control of a wing sprint car, and that's Johnny Shots. You you bring up the as far as wing four ten cars being the hardest ones to drive because a lot of guys talk about the difference from going from the wing car to the non wing car. Not a lot of guys have been able to. Not a lot. Not a lot of guys have been victorious both directions. I mean, the most recent one that comes to mind is a, is like a Kyle Larson and like yourself that can win in both of them. But then the interesting part is once they go up to the next level, let's say at the NASCAR level, it seems like the, the dirt guys excel once they get on pavement in the stock cars. But is the long distance thing still somewhat of a caveat because you guys get used to the 30 lappers or does it take, or does it take a little bit more time to get used to the long distance stuff? So I feel like dirt track racers or open wheel racers have, advantages whenever we go run stock cars but we also have disadvantages and one of those disadvantages like you brought up is we don't run longer style races so i've as i've gone up and ran more stock car stuff now looking back at my dirt career and talking to keith and pete who are trying to develop these younger guys i've told them that one of the things that I missed out on and needed more of was more silver ground racing because that is longer distance races. And it just teaches you a, a whole different uh, box of tools or skill sets that you need to become a good stock car racer. So going to pavement from a dirt racing standpoint is fairly simple to have speed and to go fast and to uh, be able to, to run fast but learning to run a long distance stock car race is that's the difficult part. And it's hard for uh, dirt guys to, to figure out because 
uh, it's not just run as hard as you can for 30 laps like it is on the open wheel stuff. So um, that's definitely a very difficult situation and, and very difficult task to learn how to run a long distance race. And you mentioned uh, Keith and Pete there. Uh, kind of, I want to dive. I know we we touched on a little bit. I want to dive a little bit further into this with uh, Keith and Keith and Pete. What's tell me what it's like driving driving for the, for those two, given their success in the in the midget ranks. I mean, how? Uh, what I mean when when you go to a, when you go to a show in the midget, is it the absolute expectation is to win? If if we don't do that, then we need to do something different, or is it or is there ever a night where you can go back and say we just got beat tonight? Well, I think everybody has those nights where you just it's just not your night and you're not going to win. But with Keith and Pete, whenever they go there with six drivers, uh, it seems like more than not, one of their drivers finds a way to victory lane. But uh, for sure, it's just sometimes it's just not your night. Like like we had at DeCoin the other night, I ran into uh, some issues there with lap traffic and, and just, just kind of it wasn't our night and it wasn't Keith's night. He had two cars that were starting up front and I think Tanner ended up blowing up and he had a good shot at winning and I was leading the race whenever a couple of lap cars got together and I had nowhere to go so uh you know Keith didn't win but he wasn't bummed because he knew that uh you know his drivers performed his cars were good and uh we did everything we could it just didn't work out so um it's it's a lot of fun to to get to go race with those guys because it is kind of a a non-pressure environment and uh they're just a bunch of good guys having fun Talking with Christopher Bell here on Hot Laughs with Jimmy and Mac here on the Dirt Scene Radio Network. Only because I've had the pleasure of working at both of them and watching several races at both of them. What was a bigger thrill speed-wise? Or I, actually, i got to ask all three now. What was the bigger thrill speed-wise? Uh, 200 miles an hour at Daytona, uh, late model at Full Song at Winchester, or running a wing car at Eldora? Wing car at Eldora, hands down. I kind of uh, thought you were going to go that route. I wondered if that was going to be the choice. <laughs> yeah, there, there's just something about 12-second laps on a half-mile, man. That's that's insane. It, it, everything happens so fast, and that's uh, you just you feel the most speed in a wing car, for sure. And the next one i got to ask is, being the native Oklahoma and then winning the Chili Bowl, that kind of jump-started the year for you. You won the Chili Bowl, then you won the truck race at Atlanta, then you win the homecoming, basically the homecoming of sorts this past weekend at Oklahoma City. That basically gives you plenty of momentum for the rest of the year, too. I mean, it's not too far out of the realm of possibilities that a truck title is in store this year for you. But what's the uh, what's the long-term goal? What, what would Christopher Bell like to get mostly out of the year other than competing for the Truck Series Championship? I just need to win races. Last year, that was something that we failed at was to, to win multiple races in the truck series. We were able to win once and kind of salvage the year by making the final four at Homestead there. But uh, going into this year, I have to win truck races. So that's our goal going into 2017 is to be able to compete and win multiple races in the truck series. Talking, talking about talking about winning here, you uh, the, you picked up the wins down at, uh, down at the i down at the I-44 Raceway in Oklahoma City, down there. Let's kind of let's kind of talk about those about this weekend. Kind of take us through the whole weekend for us for those for for me that wasn't there. What was uh, was it? Just hey, we're just here. We're it's a homecoming. We're here to race, and we get and we went out there and did our job. Kind of take me through that. Well, I-44 was a lot of fun this weekend because uh, they had the track in excellent condition and. Friday night, I was really bummed that we got rained out because the track was looking really, really good there throughout the heat races and after the bees. But uh, everyone at I-44 and with the power eye, Kenny Brown and all of his guys did an excellent job with the track prep. And we were able to successfully run a day race with very minimal rubber. And uh, we actually still had a really nice cushion down in one and two on the day race. So uh, they were able to get the track back. And, and for the night race, we had an absolutely outstanding surface. So that made it a lot of fun, and, and it made it where we could race on it. There were better than 60-plus cars on hand here this past weekend at Oklahoma City, and a lot of good quality cars from various different disciplines across the board. And then with Mother Nature kind of forcing the doubleheader on Saturday, 
does it bum you out the night before with a rain delay and then having to come back for the twin bill on Saturday, or does that just let you stay in that one mindset all day on Saturday of, okay, we got to do it once, then we got to come back and do it again. That doesn't tire you out at all, does it? Uh, no, it, it didn't tire me out, but uh, the biggest thing was uh, just worrying about the racetrack because nobody likes to race in the daytime, and that kind of brought an ex- extreme unknown if, if the track was going to be able to uh, a, not rubber up in the day, and then B, be able to keep it from rubbering up after we just ran a day show for a whole nother night program. But like I said, Kenny Brown did an ex- outstanding job with the track, and uh, they are able to get it back after the day show and, and provide two awesome uh, features there on Saturday. Both you and Jimmy can attest to this with the way that uh, Power Eye does its format as far as with the, the pill drawing and the passing points format. You kind of had the the beneficial aspect of you started up near the front and passed a lot of cars earlier in the program in both shows, but knowing that you don't have that qualifying advantage to guarantee you into like a top six like a USAC show does, does the, do you take basically racing with a USAC show with a qualifying format and then going to Power Eye with a passing points format? Do you do you go into that with different disciplines, or you just think you know right foot to the floor the entire show? Well, I feel like. Every time you go to the racetrack, no matter what the format is, the goal is the same every time. Uh, every time you hit the racetrack, you either want to A, go the fastest, or, or B, win the race. So uh, as far as mindsets, I don't feel like it changes a whole lot. And But whenever you go to a power eye show and you, and you knew you drew eighth, uh, you can look at it a little bit differently and, and understand, hey, uh, all I need to do here is run fourth compared to uh, if you go to a USAC show. Um you qualify good and you know, okay, well, all I got to do is run in the transfer spot. So uh, there's definitely different styles of attacking it, but uh, bottom line, every time you hit the racetrack, you want to be, uh, be the fastest and win the race. You brought up the thing as well, as far as nobody likes racing in the daytime and nobody really knew what the track was going to have. And it did stay relatively cool. Even after the rain, even in bright sunshine, the track held up really well. Now I'm going to take that to, with the truck series, you do run a lot of daytime shows. So with the fact that you get a lot more daytime experience than a lot of the field, does that help you, did that help you a lot over the weekend as well? Uh, not really, because, uh, see, daytime racing on pavement is opposite of daytime racing on dirt. So with dirt, daytime races are rarely good and uh, rarely provide good racing. Um, nighttime races on pavement uh, are typically a lot harder to have good races just for the same reason that uh, daytime races don't work on dirt, how they dry the track out, make it really uh, very dry and slick and dusty. Uh, that's the same reason we love it on the pavement racing is because uh, it makes the pavement hard and slick and uh, it gets greasy and it makes us slip and slide. So um, it's opposites as far as day racing on dirt and on pavement, but uh, so it's just so different that it doesn't really relate. Talking talking here about asphalt and dirt, as, as we mentioned before, you've won the Chili Bowl. What's uh, what's kind of next on your what's kind of next on your big wins list? I mean, Daytona 500 potentially, Indianapolis 500. What are what do you think is would be next? What what in in terms of this this is what I want next? Well, I guess. For me, I've been really close to winning the Kings Royal now a couple of times, so uh, that'd be a really cool race to be able to win, and I, and I heard it pays pretty good, too. Yeah, I think that race pays a little bit more than start money. I, I don't think fifty grand would uh, hurt your case too too much. Yeah, yeah. Is there is there ever ever a chance we're going to see you, like, is, is the Indy 500 on your list of races to run, you think? I'd love to if I got the opportunity. Uh, obviously, I'm still probably a, a couple years away from doing that. But, yeah, for sure, I, I'd do it if uh, the opportunity presented itself. I'm pretty sure if Christopher Bell and I'm pretty sure one of your Keith Coons counterparts, Kyle Larson, I'm pretty sure if you two ever do decide to come run the 500 and you do it together, that will put an all-new fire in race fans as far as short track fans across the state of Indiana looking forward to coming back to 16th in Georgetown. Because a lot of people consider that that's kind of what that race has been lacking is the graduates of USAC and the graduates of sprint car racing culminating at that place. A lot of it's now been the foreign influence and a lot of it's been influenced by X formula one talent. And it's 
the last one that really embraced the Indiana roots was Brian Clawson that got to start it. So I guess if you two came back, that would, you know, give an all new hump for Indiana short trackers to finally get to go race at 16th in Georgetown in an IndyCar. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun and, and extremely cool if me and Kyle were able to do that uh, at the same time. But, uh, you know, if it, I'd love to, but I'm sure Kyle's a lot closer than I am at it. So uh, we'll have to see in the next couple of years if he's going to do it or not. Regardless, it's still fantastic to get you to watch you come back and race back your roots in both midgets and sprint cars. Talking with Christopher Bell here on Hot Laps with Jimmy and Mac. Chris, thanks for joining us. We got to go ahead and cut you loose. We know you got a busy week preparing to get ready to go to Martinsville with the truck. So thanks for taking your time out of your schedule to talk to us. Yep. Talk to you later. Christopher Bell, driver of the Keith Coons Motorsports car number 21 this past weekend and also driver of the number four NASCAR Camping World Truck Series entry for the Kyle Busch Motorsports team. Chris has kind of, you know, just been on the racing high to start the year for the fact of he won he won the Chili Bowl, he won in a truck at Atlanta, and then he won this past weekend at the Power Eye opener. So definitely big things going for Christopher Bell here in the future, Jimmy. Yeah, he's he's de- he's definitely got the big mo going on. I love I heard I think I heard it on a NASCAR term once. Uh once you once you get the mo- momentum going, I mean once once it gets going, it's hard to stop. Him, Justin Grant's got it going on right now. It's it's really hard to stop. So I I see more truck wins coming for him. Indeed, that will be the case for Christopher Bell. we got to take this break, and when we come back, we're going to talk this weekend's events both at Lawrenceburg Speedway for the USAC National Sprint Cars as Lawrenceburg Speedway co-public address announcer Ryan Kent's going to join us, and then we're also going to dive into the USAC Silver Crown Series opener coming up Sunday at the Terre Haute Action Track. He's Jimmy. I'm Mac. You're listening to Hot Laps on the Dirt Scene Radio Network. We'll be right back. We asked a DIYer to tell the difference between a beaker of new Valvoline motor oil and one with Valvoline Next Gen with recycled oil. They look the same. Both exceed industry specs. Still can't tell. Okay, one's better for the environment. Not helpful. Next Gen oil is better than new oil. Used oil actually starts off better than crude and goes through the same refining process. Then it's improved with our special additives for the same Valvoline protection. And because it uses less resources, it's better than new oil. Valvoline Next Gen. With 50% recycled oil, it's better than new oil. From its humble beginnings in Lakeville, Indiana in 1957, Hoosier Racing Tires have become the premier race tire used by champions all over the United States and in 86 different countries. The different types of racing tires they have include tires for dragsters, road racing, oval track dirt, oval track asphalt, carts, quarter midgets, ATVs, pro street, and much more. So if you promote a racetrack, own a racing series, or just want the best tire made for your style of racing, Hoosier is the only race tire manufacturer you'll ever need. Go check them out at HoosierTire.com. Tires designed for champions. You're listening to Hot Laughs on the Dirt Scene Radio Network. Michael McIntyre and Jimmy Miller, glad to be with you from our respected destinations of both Fort Wayne, Indiana for myself and Arthur, Illinois, the booming metropolis that, that is for Jimmy Miller. How many, how many people you got in your town? Maybe, what, 12, 16? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, usually. Right, I think the sign out, out front is like 2,500. Is is it still Perfect. small enough to where you have to stand up, where somebody has to stand up front whenever a kid gets born because they have to, you know, wipe away the chalkboard mark and put put the new number up there? Or am I just thinking too much like the old Wild West? Uh, no, I think you're thinking a little bit too far back. But we do have a lot of Amish around here, so uh, the tur- the tourism around here is booming. Uh, the only thing you still need to do is we got you and I still have to build our racetrack eventually. But we're going to shift gears now. I want to special want to thank once again Christopher Bell for taking time out of his schedule to talk to us about this past weekend's Power Eye races at I-44 Riverside Speedway in Oklahoma City. And joining us now on the Hot Laps Hotline is the co-public address announcer at Lawrenceburg Speedway, as well as kind of the media liaison for the Boss Non-Wing Series that runs around this area as well. Ryan Kent, glad to have you here on Hot Laps, and we're looking forward to this weekend to coming back to Lawrenceburg for the USAC National Sprint Cars. Glad to have you on the show. Thanks, guys. Certainly appreciate the opportunity to come on here, and uh, always good to talk a little bit of uh, not only traditional sprint car racing, and uh, yeah, USAC's going to kick off the Midwest season opener uh, this weekend at the Lawrenceburg Speedway. Um, I had an opportunity last year at Lawrenceburg to uh, work my way into, into announcing a little bit alongside Chad Cunningham. And, uh, man, oh, man, what a great uh, fall nationals we saw. Uh, Josh Hodges picking up his first USAC national sprint car victory in a great three-car battle between Chris Windham and Dave Garland. And uh, that was a great show, and I'm sure that we'll, uh, with the knocking on wood, the weather's been great these last two weeks. I was out at the Berg on uh, Saturday for, for a little bit of testing, and uh, track was in great shape, and the weather this week is uh, shaping up to have another great uh, high banks at the Berg. Okay. 
if you remember the spring race at Lawrenceburg last year, oh boy, it really couldn't bad. get it really couldn't get much worse. No matter what we got weather-wise this coming weekend, because for those of you that were at Lawrenceburg for the spring race last year, you're immediately nodding your head. For those of you that were not there, who were probably about 40 degrees warmer than the rest of us. It was a, I think when, when the green flag fell, it was 35 degrees outside. And with the wind chill, I'm pretty sure it was about minus 10. So I'm glad to hear we're getting good weekend, good weather this weekend when we come back to the Berg. Absolutely. And last year we had, normally we have at Lawrenceburg, uh, they have their World of Outlaws race during May, on the, the, May, the Monday um, of Memorial Day. But last year it got rained out, so they moved it to the day of what was supposed to be an empty weekend for us. Well, the USAC race also got rained out. So it ended up being a World of Outlaws Friday, USAC Saturday doubleheader. And both nights were extremely cold. Uh, and unfortunately, the racing, I think, suffered a little bit from that. Made through it all. Um, and then you turn around for the spring race in 2016 and have another extremely cold night for USAC. So two straight, not so great shows. Um, and then you turn around to Sprint Week where we see Brian Kloss run away with the thing. Uh, and then turn around and then have the Fall Nationals with a great show, a good three-way battle, and Josh Hodge is picking up his first USAC National win. So I think the, the recipe and the ingredients are there. So two great shows down in Ocala, and uh, hopefully we can uh, have a great show at Lawrenceburg as well. If you weren't there at the shows last year at Lawrenceburg, Dave Darwin was kind of the winner of the tire attrition cold fest that was the April race, and then we came back during sprint week. Brian Clawson picked up the win during that, and then the Fall Nationals, Josh Hodges indeed was the victor, which was kind of a surprise for a lot of people because Josh came to this part of the country from New Mexico, and everybody thought he was going to immediately be the man to beat, but he struggled a little bit when he came to this part of the country, and then by the time he got to Lawrenceburg, he started figuring out just how these Indiana tracks behave. He did, and he's got a really good guy, uh, Jake Argo, who has helped Sean Westerfeld, helped a couple other guys be really good. Sean's a former back-to-back actual boss champion. Uh, won the Speedway Championship at Lawrenceburg. So he, Jake, really knows how to how to help guys get around Lawrenceburg well. He was on the wrenches for Josh. Josh ran four races at Lawrenceburg last year, um, and he only lost one of those races, which was the Sprint Week show to Brian Clawson. So he won three races at Lawrenceburg in his four races there. He really got around the place well, and I expect him to be, uh, if he's there Saturday, to be another contender to win. And I said early on in the show, uh, back in October, whenever we had the Fall Nationals, uh, just talking to the PD there with Chad Cunningham, that if there's a guy that can can sneak kind of sneak up tonight on race fans, it's either going to be Stevie Sussex or Josh Hodges because they're two guys that can really really wheel a 316 a 410, and those guys get a few more races as well, being from the mid for being from you know down south and the west out there with the the Southwest Sprint cars and everything else, they can start racing you know in January. So those guys get a few more reps in, and uh, they really hit their prime time uh, that night at Lawrenceburg, and Hodge just showed it really well. We talk about how this weekend is opening weekend in Lawrenceburg, where the USAC Sprint Car National Championship comes in basically to kick off the year, which is a huge way to kick off any racetrack season. But talk about what's going on the rest of the year at Lawrenceburg. I know the World of Outlaws are slated to come back during Memorial Day weekend and a lot of other big shows on the card. What all is going on at Lawrenceburg this year that people need to mark their calendars for? Well, uh, for this year, Lawrenceburg, uh, they're going to kick off the year, obviously, uh, like we just talked about, Michael, with with USAC, and uh, USAC's planning to make uh, four visits there this year, three with the sprint cars, one with the midgets. And uh, people uh, had always talked about sprint or a silver crown race, rather, and actually at the test on Saturday, Joss Moffat and the uh, Williams and Wright crew, uh, they brought their uh, silver crown car out, and I'm telling you, if they could uh, – if they could figure out a way to have a Silver Crown race uh, at Lawrenceburg Speedway, uh, it would be pretty cool, my friends, because uh, that that thing uh, that thing can haul the mail um, around the high banks of Lawrenceburg Speedway. But uh, I ha- for this year, I, Lawrenceburg- I I have to I have to interrupt just real quick for one thing because as soon as you said the words Silver Crown at Lawrenceburg, I'm looking at Jimmy Miller right now, and his eyes just got about as about as big as the first time a wing fan sees somebody take a take a wheel stand on the front stretch. So. I'm guessing you're it's on the tough. side of you'd, you'd be okay of seeing a silver crown race on a three-eighths mile. There's a lot of guys that don't want to see that. And I yeah, there's. Uh, for, I mean, I've I've seen the silver crown series on predominantly miles, and coming from a coming from a guy that usually watches midget racing, silver crown racing, it's not 
compared to that, it's not the most exciting when com- when compared. But I'm thinking because I'm I'm one of the tracks I've never been to in Indiana is Lawrenceburg. I'm thinking if the USAC Silver Crown Series was to come there, I'd get to cross that track off my list and see Silver Crown cars at Lawrence at Lawrenceburg for the for the midgets for the for the videos I've seen of the midgets being there. It's like jet fighters in a gymnasium. I can only imagine what Silver Crown Absolutely. Series would be like there. And and I know with the Silver Crown cars, uh, they I, I'm not sure if they've ever raced at a track smaller than a half mile. So for just with their rules and everything, um, obviously nothing I won't make it clear. Nothing that USAC has said um, is pertinent to having a USAC Silver Crown race at Lawrenceburg, unfortunately, as it is to here. I would love to see it. I'm just telling you, if there was a Silver Crown car there on Saturday, and if there were to be a race, it would be awesome. So if there is a way to make it work with everything. With from the promotion standpoint, David Kermudasel and USAC and and Levi and then everybody else to make it work, but it would be awesome. But uh, there is, the best of my knowledge at this point, no no signs of having a race. It's just at this point um, a dream uh, that I think uh, we all have. That if it could come true, it would be pretty awesome. But uh, until then, uh, we're just going to have to keep uh, maybe being able to play it on iRacing. Who knows? Well, I I feel I feel that us here at Hot Laps we need to uh, you know talk to the powers that be and you know make this happen because this sounds this sounds just amazing. What do you think, Mac? Somewhere, Greg Hardy is immediately trying to figure out how we can turn Lawrenceburg into a flat dirt mile. I guarantee you that's what Hardy's <laughs> thinking right now. But I, Ab- I'm, I'd be all for, I'd be all for it. I'd be all for it for the fact that a lot of people talk about you know where does the Silver Crown series go as far as new venues, because we've lost a couple of racetracks here in the last couple of years to where we lost, you know, a mile at Syracuse. We've lost some, we've lost, you know, a pavement track as far as the Milwaukee mile goes on that side. So there's been a lot of debate as far as where the series goes and the high bank three eighths mile at Lawrenceburg is an option. Knoxville. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy wants, Jimmy wants to take him back to Knoxville. I forgot about that. Jimmy, Jimmy's on board of, you know, bringing back 2001 all over again. That's good. I wasn't. I, I didn't see him in 2001. I want to see him again. What about What about you, Ryan? Where would you like to see the Silver Crown Series eventually go? It's obviously um, in terms of pavement. Um, Winchester would always be really cool. You know, um, that would be a a place that uh, to have a to have a race would always be um, awesome. Um, Okay, the the look that Jimmy had when you brought up dirt cars at Lawrenceburg is about the same look I just had when you brought up crown cars at Winchester. So you've made both of us <laughs> – t- together today, everybody's happy in that aspect. So we've accomplished something today aside <laughs> the technical gremlins we've had. But I think uh, I, I would love to see um, IndyCar – the IndyCar Silver Crown mixture kind of come back. Um, I'm lucky enough I get to head out to Phoenix this year. I'm just going as a fan. Um just to go see Silver Crown cars back at Phoenix. Um, I think that's a really cool thing. When they were at Iowa, uh, that was a cool race. Um, I, I I was just talking to a couple people today just about the IRP races um, and maybe how we can try to uh, – what ideas could possibly bring those to make um, – bring some more people. Um, there's some good racing. Um, Got to bring some more cars. Got to bring some more people. And at the end of the day, it's all about car owners. Um there's plenty of drivers. There's plenty of people that want to run these cars. Um, I think there's plenty of people that want to own them as well. Um, but overall, it just it just has to make sense um, for for the entire equation. But uh, yeah, Winchester would definitely be cool. Um, I'd like to see it go back to Iowa just because of of the uh, just the racing there would be good. Uh, and they also run IndyCar. That's an option. Uh, there's some different things that uh, I think Silver Crown uh, could have coming in the next couple of years because there's some new teams. There's several new teams on the docket for this year. And uh, the race we talked a little bit about on Saturday with the sprint cars, also on Sunday with the Silver Crown cars. It's a Terre Haute. That'll be, uh, that should be a good show as well. So uh, yeah, uh, Winchester would obviously be uh, number one in terms of you. If I had my dream of of sticking a Silver Crown championship race uh, anywhere, um, just a one-off would be uh, awesome. Pretty awesome at Anderson. Or uh, actually, rather, Winchester, rather. 
that indeed would be exciting to see. And also, Ryan is also the announcer of the Boss Non-Wing series that runs around the area. So, But we're almost out of time for the show this week. So we're going to have to have Ryan come back next week, and we'll have you come back and talk about a little bit of a Boss season preview. Sound good to you? Sounds good. I'll be ready. Sounds good. Ryan Kent on the on the uh, Hot Laps Hotline. Thanks for joining us, Ryan Kent. Looking forward to all the action this weekend at Lawrenceburg. And finally, to wrap it up here, as we got just a couple of minutes left in our show, the Silver Crown season is coming this weekend to historic Vigo County. And yes, let's rejoice everybody all around. Jimmy just put his hands in the air and so did I. The Sumar Classic coming up on Sunday. If you can't make it to Terre Haute to see the action in person, I'll be doing the camera this weekend for SpeedShiftTV.com. Looking forward to working with Darren, Chet, and, and uh, Hailstorm again. And I know our, you're, you're coming this weekend, and, and you're going to be tagging along with the Hardys. So this is kind of, the, you know, this is basically the equivalent of Christmas for us, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. Back, we're back this year. I'm back this year following the, the Hardys, Greg Hardy, and their drivers, Shane Cockrum and David Shane, this year. Um, actually, got, we got hooked up with them a couple of years, or I got hooked up with them a couple of years ago, so uh, – it, it's kind of it's kind of nice coming from the videographer's standpoint versus where where you are in your in your standing you don't really get to cheer for anybody out there you're not supposed to cheer for anybody out there it's you run the camera and you're supposed to be un you're not supposed to have a, a winner I me I have a I have a winner that I know I want I want one of the one of the two red cars to win I. Shane Cochran picked up the win two years ago down there. It was it was pretty big for us. So uh, definitely going down there loaded for Bear again. As far as rooting for anybody goes, after seeing them, after seeing Crown Cars on dirt myself for the first time last year at Terre Haute, the Indy Mile, and a coin, I don't need a rooting interest because I'm pretty sure everybody will agree seeing those cars on dirt is just flat out cool it's like being a kid it's like being a kid on christmas morning who gets to open up his favorite toy so we're looking forward to Terre Haute this weekend racing action set to get underway i'm pretty sure right around five o'clock tickets are available at usactickets.com you can order the pay-per-view at speedshifttv.com as well looking forward to getting to Terre Haute with the track enterprises crew bob Sargent, adam Mackey, and everybody all involved hoping for a fantastic show this weekend at Terre Haute. We're about out of time this weekend here on Hot Laps with Jimmy Mack. We're going to be coming back next week with a full slate as well as we're going to be coming next weekend. We're going to be recapping all the action from Terre Haute. We'll be talking about the Kokomo Grand Prix coming up next weekend or the following weekend at Kokomo, which is going to feature some non-wing sprint cars as well. So we want to thank everybody who joined us on the show today, Christopher Bell, Ryan Kent, and everybody that gave us feedback this week during the well. Jimmy, uh, I'll see you this weekend at Terre Haute, I guess. Yeah, this, this is actually, this is, I believe, the first time we're actually going to see each other since Gold Crown la- or uh, Gold Cup last year. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Gold Crown was the last time we got to see each other actually in person rather than just talking to each other through the camera from about 300 miles away. So we're looking forward to it this weekend. We're going to probably get some interviews canned as well. We're going to be posting up on the uh, Dirt Team Facebook page, the Dirt Team website, and gathering some other big information as well. And hoping to have a nice sit-down interview as well with Justin Grant, recapping what he's had coming up this weekend as well. Looking to see if Justin Grant can be the first person to win all three season openers within the USAC National Series. Thanks for joining us here on Hot Blast. We'll come back next week with all a new show. He's Jimmy. I'm Mac. We'll see you next week here on the Dirt Scene Radio Network. Peace out, everybody. White flag! One more time! on! Here we go! We gotta slide to the high side! Here we go! Side by side to the back straight! We gotta power back to the right, please!